Open your Bible, please, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. What a wonderful day. I'll tell you, I know I've said it before. I just love being here with you folks. But man, what a good service to have two people saved this morning. Do you know the angels in heaven are rejoicing tonight? And, uh, and if, he, if we don't rejoice, oh my, we're missing out. What a great morning, what a great day. We are praying that God will instruct us step by step by step towards revival in our life, in our home, in our church. And boy, what a blessing it would be to see it sweep through our nation. God said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, we have to be honest with God. We need to be faithful in that which is least. And tonight, we're going to look at, look at the second thought. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. I don't know about you, but we all tend to avoid things we're not good at. I'm not very good at bowling. Um, I don't like to bowl uh, because I'm no good at it. And when your wife can beat you, that's very difficult for a man to handle. And I really feel bad tripping her just so that I can win in bowling. So I just, I just avoid bowling. I'm not very good in volleyball either because I can't jump. But I do like a few other things, and I play very, or at least fairly well at. And I've learned that that's why some people avoid praying. They've started praying somewhere in their life. They really poured out their heart to God. And God didn't answer their prayer the way they thought that he should. And they've prayed again about other things. And before long, they feel like prayer is for the preacher. Prayer is for the deacons. Prayer is for everybody but myself. And it's not that they don't believe in prayer, they just don't think God hears their prayers. Does anybody identify with that a little bit? And so we, we do the best we can. We pray before we eat, we pray when we come to church, but as far as carving out time during the week to pray, we seldom do that because we don't see the value in it. Some feel that, well, I'll go and clean the church I'll spend an hour or two cleaning the church, or I'll do some grunt work at the church. That's important, too, and yes, it is important, but not as a substitute for prayer. I said this morning, and I'll repeat again tonight, Ian Bounds said, prayer can do anything God can do. It's just that nobody believes that, or I should say, very few believe it. Because if we really believed it, somebody would say, then I want to learn how to pray. Well, there are many messages in God's word about prayer. And obviously, we only have a certain amount of time tonight. But what I want to do is freshen it up a little bit. Some of you have a very vibrant prayer life. Somebody's praying through. Because God is blessing your church. But if you could multiply that, just think of the power of God you would see in this place. 
And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to teach preach a little bit. And you understand the difference. When I teach, I'll talk to you. When I preach, I'll yell. And so don't take offense. Just ride along with me tonight. I think it'll be a blessing and encouragement to you. We want to pray according to his will. Now, God says in Philippians that you shouldn't worry about anything. Just take it. Listen, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And if you're going to pray, if you're going to worry for several hours or several days, then you ought to pray equal amount of time. God says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. He is saying, don't worry about a thing. Just talk to me about it. Otherwise, bring him what you think might be too small for God. It's just bigger than you are. But you hate to bother God with it. God says, no, 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 no. If it's big enough to bother you, you bring it to me. But sometimes we ask God to answer those prayers in a way that God, who can see the future because he's already there, he has a better way of answering it. And sometimes, because he doesn't answer it the way we think he should, we give up on prayer. But if we continue in prayer, God would reveal to us why or show us a better way. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to teach seven things we ought to pray for. Because these, we know, specifically, are God's will. When we say, dear God, if it's your will, I can tell you tonight, it's God's will. Because he says so. When a man says, well, I got saved, I'm going to pray about getting baptized. I want to be kind to him. But you really don't have to pray about that. It's pretty emphatic. It's very clear in Scripture that saved people get baptized. Well, I'm praying about witnessing to my neighbor. Well, maybe you're praying about how to witness to him, but you don't have to pray about witnessing to him. I can tell you right now what God's will is. You are to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Are you with me tonight? But tonight I'm going to give you seven things that we ought to ask God for. Let's look in James chapter 4 for our... Um, Scripture reading tonight, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Chapter 4, verse 1, come they not hence, even of your lust, your desires that war in your members? You lust, you have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust, or your, your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, wow, that's strong language, class. That's a sermon in and of itself. God's not into name-calling. You know, when you get mad at someone and you'd like to clock them with your fist, but you know you can't or you'll get in trouble, you try to beat them up with your tongue. Well, God doesn't do that sort of thing. He has a reason why he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. You're trying to live with the world and live with me at the same time. You can't court both. It's one or the other. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth of envy? But he, God, 
giveth more grace. What is grace, class? It's the power of God to do God's will. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. It sounds like James is writing a commentary on, If my people shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear. And so tonight, let me share and remind many of you seven prayer requests we ought to ask of God. It will give us confidence in our prayer life that God does hear and answer prayer. And seeing God answer your prayer will, whoo, it will fire you up. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to preach your word tonight. Would you fill me with your spirit, not only me, but your people here in this room. And we, we are seeking a Holy Spirit revival in this place. Father, thank you for meeting with us and for saving those two this morning. We just pray that your hand would protect them even now. And, and I, I, I told John this morning, he got saved, he's happy, and I just said, well, just, just don't, don't be discouraged and don't be surprised when the devil visits you because he hates your guts. He hates all of us because he hates God. And so, Father, tonight, would you fill us with your spirit, revive our prayer life, and I pray that this church would be a house of prayer. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Seven things. You ready to write down and listen fast? Number one, we ought to pray for fire in our soul. Vance Havner said, too many churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. Revelation 3.16, we referred to this morning of the lukewarm church. The church members there in Laodicea, they made God sick. And Quite frankly, I think lukewarm Christianity makes all of us sick. When you see someone that says they love God, they come to church and then they go and they live in the world. By the way, that's how you get lukewarm water, isn't it? If you understand the geography of Laodicea, they had no natural springs in Laodicea. They had to go to a, a nearby town where, where there was hot springs, an abundance of hot water, and they would cart in that hot water. They would go to another area where there was an abundance of cold springs, and they would bring the water from there. God wasn't condemning anybody that drinks room temperature water. If you like room temperature water, drink it. That's not what he's talking about. He's using an illustration they're familiar with in their life. He's saying, you bring hot water here, you bring cold water here. What do you do? You mix the two together and you get lukewarm. And God says, you know what makes me sick? A man that dips in hot springs, dips into the well of God and his soul is set on fire. And then he turns right around and he goes and immerses himself in the cold waters of the world. 
instead of remaining cold, he adds hot water to warm up a little bit. Then he goes and he gets in the cold water, and God says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but quit trying to live two lives. That's what makes God sick. And each and every one of us are susceptible to that, are we not? I mean, you'll be on fire for Jesus when you leave here tonight. Some of you are on fire now. Tomorrow you're going to go to work. Tonight you're going to drive home. Someone's going to cut you off. Your mate is going to say something to you. Your kids are going to talk back to you. You're going to, oh my, I remember going to church and, and one of our girls, we had five baby girls, you know, born in five years, five teenage girls, and be heading to church and, Dad, I got to run in my nylons. Well, I'm here to tell you that a run in your nylons or a cracked nail will ruin revival. You might as well turn the car and go back home because it's not going to happen. Thank God we don't wear nylons anymore. Hallelujah. I'm saying we're all susceptible to losing the fire that's in our soul. The psalmist, psalmist, we heard it tonight. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? When your candle is getting dim, you need to ask God to fire you up. Jeremiah 20 says, His word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. When I lose my joy, when I don't care for souls, when I'm not motivated to serve, when I'm not motivated to give, I'll find myself getting critical of the church of God. I'll find myself criticizing the things in the house of God. And my love for God will begin to cool off. That's the time you need to get on your knees and say, Dear God, I need fire in my soul. Set my soul afire. What a song you sang today. A sermon may ignite the fire, but it's prayer. That's the fuse that'll light that fire up and get it going. Secondly, not only do we need to pray for fire in our soul, we need to pray for faults in our self. A lot of times we lack fire and we think it's somebody else's fault. You know, it's just... I was just in a great frame of mind, just had my devotions, loved God, and then that person walked in the room. And we point the finger of blame on someone else. When in reality, we just took our eyes off Jesus. We came to Florida years ago when our children were small. We've been coming to Florida a long time. And so we have looked forward to coming here a little longer in our older years, so... Hallelujah, we got the desire of our heart. But when we brought our children down on vacation, I remember we had a, we had a conversion van. And I mean, that's what Baptists do. We convert everything. And so we got a van, we got a conversion van, and I mean, it had the captain's chairs and the TV and a BCR, and for you... Young people that don't know what a VCR is, just Google it. It'd be a lot quicker. <clears throat> we're, what, we're playing movies in that thing. We're playing A Thief in the Night. That'll scare, that'll scare even saved people. I mean, 
we're watching Bible movies going down the highway, and we're, we're coming down towards Cocoa Beach, which is our destination, and we're almost there. We're a little less than an hour out, and all of a sudden, from the back of the van, I hear our baby girl, Joy, crying out, Dad, they're picking on me! I just ignore it. I stay focused, and I got to get us there. We're, we're under an hour. We're almost there. Dad, they're picking up. Knock it off. We're on vacation. We're having fun. And I keep focused and keep on driving. Dad, stop it. And I look over at Lori. Those are your girls. Would you fix and all of a sudden, Joy screams, Dad, they won't stop. Stop it. You want me to pull this van over and line up all five of you outside and whip you, give you a good spanking, and then a police officer drive by and see me whipping you, and then he's going to arrest me and take me to jail. Is that what you want? Boy, that was a stupid question. <laughs> all of a sudden, I just knew she was going to keep on crying. I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, she said, Dad! Look! And I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and her face has gone from sad, discouraged, disillusioned, to ecstatic. Look! And I'm looking. I'm, I'm thinking there's a, a five-ton alligator on the highway, or, or King Kong, and I, I, what, what? Look, look! And I'm looking, what, what, my name. On the side of the highway was a billboard advertising a convenience store in Cocoa Beach. And it was called the Joy Store. And they had in big letters, J-O-Y. My name. I'm looking, I got my name on that billboard. Now, let me pause the story for a moment for commercial. Do you think her four older siblings, sisters, do you think when they saw her name on the billboard, they said, oh, forgive us. We did not know you were a dignitary and so famous down here in South Florida. We, we didn't know you were so popular. Oh, no. They turned up the comments. You idiot, that's not your name. But she was excited. Now, here's the lesson. Jesus said, hey, you ought to rejoice. Not because your name's written on a billboard but because your name is written in the book of life. I think sometimes we forget about that. And the truth of the matter is, the circumstances around joy didn't get better. They got worse. And yet she was thrilled. And that tells me happy people are focused on things above. God says, set your affections on things above, not on the earth. And when we're focused on 
eternity and what God has done for us and that our name is written in the book of life regardless of the circumstances around us, whoo, we can be a lot happier. But when we're not happy, it's not because of the circumstance around us, but the sin that's in us. Sin robs you of the joy of the Lord. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When did he say that? When he confessed and forsook his sin. Proverbs says, Confess and forsake your sin and you'll find mercy. John said, If we confess our sins, faithful and just, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just want to remind you tonight, before you point out of the splinter in your brother's eye, and by the way, God didn't criticize the man for that, but he did say, be sure you remove the beam from your own eye first. Because if you don't, all you're going to do is argue about that guy's splinter in his eye. And you really can't help him. And if all you're doing is pointing out people's faults and failures, that's not the job of the Christian. We as Christians, we that are spiritual, we're supposed to help those in a spirit of meekness, those that have fallen, to restore them into fellowship with God. I'm saying today we ought to pray for the fault in our own self and ask God to forgive us of our sin. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and see, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. I'm suggesting tonight a good prayer is this. Lord, what in my life would you like me to get out? When I was pastor of our church, I used to go to our church every Sunday morning at 4 a.m. to spend a couple of hours in prayer. And every three months, I would get out a sheet of paper. And I don't know that I can, uh, I can tell you a whole lot of detail, but I don't know where I had heard it. I don't know that I heard it from anyone. I, I think the Lord just impressed upon my heart because I'd say, dear God, forgive me of my sin. And it was almost like God says, yeah, you say that all the time. What sins? So I started writing out on paper the sins that he would bring to my mind. Search me, O God. Whatever sins he brought to my mind that I was guilty of and that I was not in the past but failing in now, I'd write them down on a sheet of paper. And when I wrote it down on a piece of paper, it was very humbling. Here I am, a preacher. I, I need to ask God cleanse me? Don't look at me like you're surprised. You haven't allowed God to search your heart in a while. Because I want to tell you, in life, we pick up a lot of dirt on the walk. And that's why we need a good old-fashioned cleansing from time to time. Oh, we need to pray for fire in our soul. We need to pray about the fault in ourselves. Thirdly, I got to hurry. What time do we go home as soon as I get done? Thirdly, 
Pray for forgiveness for other people's sin or for his sin. Forgive means to cancel a debt. Amnesty is a synonym in it. And it's the same word that we get amnesia. Forget it. Put it behind you. Move on. Now, when I say forget it, does that mean your memory can't recall an incident that took place? I'm not hinting at that whatsoever. But what I am saying is you put it behind you and you say, we're done with that. We've dealt with it. Debt's paid. Too many people get wounded and get their feelings hurt because they've been greatly offended. It's like someone driving a stake in their foot and, oh, man hurts and they're paralyzed they can't do anything their life comes to a halt because they've been greatly offended and they finally come to themselves and think I got to move on I can't let this thing control my life and so they they begin to walk ah and it hurts They're still thinking about the hurt and injury that they've suffered. But they're determined to move on, and they take another step. And in time, they're able to not hurt as bad. They feel pretty good about themselves. Glad I put that behind me. They're able to bear the pain. But they're not going to let that pain stop them from moving on with their life. But in reality, their whole life revolves around that hurt. They're just going in circles. What we need to do is to pull out that spike. But that'll hurt. Absolutely. Pull it out. Once you pull it out, It will allow yourself to heal. And once you heal, you'll be able to walk, not just in circles. You'll be able to move forward. Does that make sense? We need to learn to forgive others who offend us. You say, well, that's easy for you to say, preacher. You've never been offended. You got 10 hours? Forgiveness, Ephesians 4.32, one of the most precious verses in all the scriptures. Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We ought to pray, fourthly, for faith in the Savior. If you consider every sin that you commit, you can trace it back to a lack of belief in God's word. That's why it says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please him. We fall into sins of commission as well as sins of omission. And I don't know about you, but I have cried out like the man in Mark chapter 9. Do you remember the story? A dad brings his demon-possessed son to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that occasion? And he says to the Lord, my son, he, 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 he's, he's crazy. He's cutting himself. He throws himself into the fire. 
God, I know you're able to deliver him. I know you can heal him. If you will, you can heal him. He had a great attitude towards Jesus. But Jesus saw bigger problems than a demon-possessed kid. And you and I might sit back and wonder, what, what can be worse than a demon-possessed kid? I mean, if my son was throwing himself into fires and cutting himself, I'd be nearly in a panic mode. And I'd be bringing him before the Lord at the altar saying, Dear God, heal my boy. And Jesus looked at him and said, If you can believe, all things are possible. He was concerned about that dad living a life of a lack of faith. And what he said, I've said hundreds of times. Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. I don't know about you. There's times in my life I'm praying because I do believe in God. I'm not looking to God as a last resort. I know that he is the source of all miracles. Sometimes even when I'm asking for a miracle, I really don't believe that he's going to hear me. And I'm saying tonight, one thing we need to ask when we pray is for faith. The disciples did increase our faith. Faith is so important. We're saved by faith. We're justified by faith. We're kept by faith. We walk by faith. We can't please God without faith. I'm reminding you tonight, we ought to ask God for more faith in the Savior. Fifthly, we ought to pray for food in the sermon. Food in the sermon, 2 Timothy says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now, folks, you have a responsibility when you come to the house of God. When you hear the word of God taught and preached, you have a responsibility. I'm not excusing poor preaching. God forbid for a preacher to be dry as dust and dead in delivery and dull in detail and drained of doctrine. A preacher should be prepared to preach the word of God. And by the way, he should preach it as God says it. Not water it down, not try to win the the affection of the people, but give them the truth that's going to help them be followers of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's very difficult. But a true man of God is going to speak the truth regardless. Not with a mean spirit, not with condemnation. We don't have to condemn anybody. Lost people are condemned already. We got good news for both saved and lost. 
But if a preacher or a teacher or a saint opens the Word of God, then we as listeners have a responsibility to get more out of a message than a funny story or interesting facts or cute little outlines. We're here to hear what the Spirit has to say. Revelation, we read repeatedly, hear what the Spirit says to the church. God wants to speak to you tonight through God's man, from the Word of God. And when you come to church on Sunday, you ought to come with a prayerful spirit. Dear God, I need food from the sermon today. Speak to me. Whatever you tell me, I'm ready to do it. When Lori and I had the privilege of going to the Bahamas years ago, we, we got down there, we're looking for St. John the Baptist Church. It's supposedly the, the oldest church on the island in Freeport. And so we, we go and nobody's there. And finally the church starts to fill up and we're sitting on the second row. And the next thing I know, there's over 300 people in the auditorium and, and <clears throat> different, different than most churches we've ever been in. Uh, the choir actually filled up before the audience filled up. And man, wasn't it good to see the choir full tonight? I don't know how they sounded, but they looked good. And so we're one man, he came up here and he plopped down and he's reading his Bible. Next thing you know, another man came up. Next thing you know, the whole choir filled up with men. They're all wearing white shirts. They're all got red ties. And I mean, they were a sharp-looking group of men. But they're reading their Bibles, and we're sitting up there on the second row, and people are proceeding uh, by us and shaking our hand, welcoming us to the service. And all of a sudden, we hear a, a, a resonant voice that, Deep baritone voice. And it just hushed the audience. And he started singing, Yes, Lord, yes. Solo. Sang the chorus again. The other men joined with him. And I mean, before long, they got in the spirit singing. I told Lori, I don't know where they're going, but I'm going with them. It was good. I felt like my soul was raptured just from the singing of those men. Then that man stood. He said, Heavenly Father, you've already heard our answer. Speak to us tonight. Whatever you tell us. Our answer is yes, Lord, yes. When we come to the church of the living God, we come to fellowship with the saints, nothing wrong with that. But let's keep priorities in order. We're coming to hear what the Spirit has to say to us as a church. I don't understand how people can sit in church and and text and play games on their phone and clip their fingernails. And I'm not the pastor of the church anymore. I used I, I wouldn't say that when I was pastoring because I didn't want to offend anybody. You don't want to lose anybody. 
even the ones that are of pain. Now, you guys don't have any painful church members, I know. This is a cut above. But up in Chicago, it's a tough crowd up there. It's where bad, bad Leroy Brown hangs out. So I'm telling you, we have some challenges from time to time. And people get up and they got to go to the bathroom. I know that happens, but why do they always got to come and sit down on the front row? Why can't they just sit in the We don't need to be a disturbance or a distraction while the word of God is being preached, do we? Church isn't about any one individual in the room, but God. God help us to come to church with the intent to get food from the sermon. How many have I given you? How many thoughts? Five. We've got two more. You ready? Number six. We need to pray for fear in the sinner. Fear in the sinner. Otherwise, we want unsaved people to come to church. We're to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. We want them to feel loved. We want them to feel accepted. But listen, church, sin should never be praised or accepted. Does that make sense? If we're trying to convince sinners... And I understand we're all going to say we're all sinners. I'm talking about theologically our position before God. If we're saved, we're not sinners in God's eyes anymore. We're saints. We're separated unto him. Now, you know and I know we still sin. But before a holy judge, before a holy God, we're not sinners anymore. We're saints. That right there ought to set you on fire. Hallelujah. And when a sinner comes to the house of God, there ought to be a mixture of emotions going on in his mind. Church is not his world. Holiness is not his culture. His old nature doesn't like this. And for a man to get up and yell at him, that's called preaching. Yell at him that he needs to get right with God. That's offensive to him. There's only one way to heaven. That's offensive to him. And yet at the same time, these people that don't believe like him love him, care about him, welcome him. You know what we're doing? We're trying to get him to see there's two different worlds. God's world and the lost world. It doesn't help him for us to make church like the world. I think that's a good amen spot. We're not going to help anybody by making the church like the world. We need to pray for lost people that there will be fear of the Lord in their heart. The psalmist said, the transgression of the wicked saith within his heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And one way that a lost man can see how we ought to 
Respect and reverence God is for God's people to have reverence and respect for God. Oh, if the presence of God was so manifest in our lives, in our church, we would see sinners have fear and respect of God. I remember when I was younger and used to play basketball at the YMCA. I went there and I didn't tell anyone I was a preacher because when you tell them they're a preacher, they just act differently. I'm not afraid of someone not liking me or mistreating me because I'm a preacher. I just wanted to blend in and, and be part of the basketball court. That's all. And even though I couldn't jump, I could shoot the lights out of a basketball hoop. And so I got in there and played with those guys and ran with those guys. And, of course, if you've ever played sports, the language is not church language. And obviously I understood that's just how unsaved people talk. I don't expect them to talk like a church member. And so a couple guys would start warming up to me and, hey, Bruce, uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, and I'd just change the discussion to something else. And one day a couple guys were chatting in the locker room and, hey, Bruce, uh, really, what do you do for a living? Man, you've been coming here for months and... What do you do for a living? Well, you, you really don't want to know. No, come on, man. What, what do you do? I said, well, if I, t are we friends? Yeah, we're friends. Well, if I tell you, you we won't be friends anymore. And then that look, hey, why? Why, you work for the government? I said, no, higher up. <laughs> so finally I told him, I said, well, I'm a preacher. Oh, man. And I mean, instantly, two guys, hey, I'm sorry about the way I was talking out there. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> and that's the way it ought to be. When they know we belong to God, there ought to be a reverence. Not to me, but they know that I belong to him. We want to pray for fear of the Lord in the center. Seventhly and lastly, and I'm hurrying. We need to pray for the fallen in my sight. Oh, that we would see souls instead of seeing The Apostle Paul said in Romans 9, 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Let me ask you a question, I think, before you answer, but I want you to answer. How many of you believe that everybody has a soul? you believe that? Would you raise your hand? Let me help you a little bit. It's better for us to think of it this way. Every soul has a body. Here's the reason. We will look at one another as God looks at us. Otherwise, all we'll be talking about is people's bodies. Oh, she's beautiful. He's good looking. He needs to lose a little weight. 
He's bald. But he's got a cool mustache. <laughs> and our whole society, especially in a capitalistic culture, uh, capitalism is good, but it's not a perfect system, folks. There's a lot of negatives to capitalism. And one is, all we're interested is in how people look. Because we can make money off of that. God wants us to look at every person as a soul that's going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And regardless of the house, our media wants to pit blacks against whites. Come on, your church is almost as integrated as our church. We probably have the most integrated church in the Chicagoland area, or certainly one of, one of the most integrated. And don't you know that's what heaven's going to be? It's not going to be a cowboy church. It's not going to be a gringo church. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. As one man said, the ground is level at the cross. But the only way we will actually care for others if it will quit looking at the house He's just an old person. He's a soul. They're just a teenager. Like it's a curse. They're a soul. They're a child. It's a soul. Every soul has a body. Aren't you glad God doesn't just save white guys? Aren't you glad we have some Jamaicans in our church? I'll tell you, the Haitians in our church, they have the coolest accents in the world. And I tell them, if I had your, if I had your voice, I could make it in the ministry. It's just mesmerizing to hear him talk. If we could just get over the, the house that all of us live in, Bottom line, we all have the same issues. We all desire to be loved. We all desire to have hope. We all desire to be joyful. And that's why God can satisfy anybody, everybody, young, old, white, black, Yellow, tan, pink. Educated, uneducated, brilliant, simple, male, female. God can satisfy everyone. And we ought to pray that we will reach the fallen in our sight.
Now, if you pray any of those prayers, I'm going to tell you, and you pray with passion, and you pray with perseverance, and you pray with faith, I'm going to tell you, you're going to see those prayers answered. God, I need fire in my soul. God, point out the fault in my life. God, help me to forgive that person who has sinned against me. God, increase my faith in the Savior. God, give me some food from the sermon tonight. God, I pray that the lost will have fear before a holy God. God, I pray for the lost, the fallen, that I see on a regular basis. And if you'll start stirring up your prayer life, you're going to find revival fires coming in your soul. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and encourage you to plan right here, right now. Start taking your prayer life to the next level. If you pray on the run in the morning, and by the way, I used to pray when I was running. In fact, that was some of my best alone time with God was when I was out running. But we need to carve out time every day to pray. And if you'll pray, you'll see God begin to do the miraculous in your life. Father, done the very best that I can tonight to teach and preach your word. Nobody had to come back to church tonight. These folks came of their own volition and desire to be here. We're here tonight to ask you to revive us. We bow before you. We humble ourselves before you. We're trying to be as completely honest, even in the smallest areas of our life. We are opening ourselves up to you. And tonight, we want to learn to pray. Father, I pray that the lesson tonight would be helpful for those that want to step up their prayer life. And that even now, We'll commit a time this week, whether it's just one day a week, three days a week, or like Daniel, multiple times every day. I pray that we'd take action on it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet.